Hello, everybody. I'm Pasha Marlowe, and this is the Let Pleasure Be the Measure podcast. And every week, I try to bring to you positive people, people that will crack you up and crack you open and light you up and rise you up and lift your spirits and energy. And I think today you're going to be so happy to hear that America's happiness coach is here. Sandy Scarlatta. <laughs> Sandy is not only a happiness coach, she's the author of Happiness Solved and the host of Happiness Solved podcast. So we're probably going to talk about happiness <laughs> and pleasure um, and, and then a whole lot of uh, real life mess probably within it because life is both hard and short and pleasurable and happy and hard all at the same time, right? So thank you for coming, Sandy. Welcome. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you. (laughs) Very welcome. So happy you're here. We have a mutual friend who recommended um, we meet. And I I love it when that happens because it's already so easy and we have have so much in common already. So the happiness project and the happiness solved and happiness coaching, I'm going to make the assumption that all that came from a hard place that you chose to focus on <laughs> happiness. Cause I chose comedy and pleasure from a place of deep grief and fear. So this is my guess. Am I right? That's you're absolutely correct. Okay. Yeah. You, yeah. As much as you want to share your story of how you came to be a happiness coach. Yeah. So my book is called happiness solve climbing 100 steps. So the climbing 100 steps is like a mini memoir of mine. And happiness solved is the self-improvement part. So yes, I had a very, you know, I I go into a lot more detail in my book. I'm not going to give you my whole life story here. But the Connie 100 Steps came from when I was growing up, we lived outside of Annapolis, Maryland on the Severn River. And there was 100 steps that led from the river dock up to my house. And because I was a, a competitive figure skater and an athlete, Every time I climbed the 100 steps, it was like, you know, I could hear the Rocky song in the background, you know, da da da, you know, and I'd be climbing those 100 steps and it was just really amazing and I felt so good. And then one day, me and one of my girlfriends were climbing the 100 steps and my father greeted us at the door and told me that my older brother, who was 19 years old, had tragically died while serving in the US Army. He was in Germany. Mm-hmm. And so my whole life just, crumbled around me. So the climbing 100 steps is kind of a metaphor of how for the next, well, 10 years of that, 10 years following the death, I was just in a complete state of just completely unhappy. Um, I, I actually created a story around it that I would not allow myself to be happy because if I did, then that meant something terrible was going to happen. Mm. And it took me many years of therapy to realize that because, you know, it wasn't, um, it was just one of those things as a 12 year old girl, I just equated that, you know, that happiness I felt that day and something tragic happened. Um, And I also denied that he was actually dead. And the day of the funeral, I was raised Catholic and you have open casket funerals and my mother made me go up and pay my last respects. And I walked up with her and she looked at the body. He, it took three weeks for him to be brought over from Germany. This was in 1978. So, you know, it was, things were much different back then. Yes. And she said, he doesn't look real. He looks like a mannequin. 
So I kind of ran with that. And for many, many years, I made up this story that he was a spy, you know, and he couldn't make contact with us or he was in the witness protection program. And, you know, but that he was going to be coming back someday. And the problem with that is, you know, I didn't deal with the grief and the pain of the loss. So what ended up happening for me is I started abusing drugs in my early 20s. So fast forward a few years, it lasted about four years, I was abusing cocaine, very popular in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, not that that's an excuse, it was just, you know, it was just put in front of me by people that I worked with. And I was young and naive and wasn't dealing with the loss that I had experienced. So I cleaned up my act. Um, thankfully, I haven't touched drugs in over 30 years. So the 30 years, the past 30 years has just been about always trying to get back to a place of peace and happiness. And so that is the main theme of the book. And, you know, I talk about all the ways that we're causing ourselves to be unhappy, but then all the steps you can take to always get back to a place of peace and happiness, no matter what your daily struggles are, no matter what you've been through, you can always get back to that. Because as you said in the beginning, it is a choice and I choose happiness every day. Yes. Life's too short to live without happiness. <laughs> yes, and when you lose somebody who you love at a young age, you realize how fragile and short life really is and um, mm -hmm. a hard lesson to learn as a child. But um, do you feel that with trauma, there's often triggers. Do you have trauma triggers still around? Today is good, something's probably gonna happen. Do you still have that fear of like, ugh, <sighs> yeah. Well, I realized that I had a form of PTSD. Yes. Um, and, and for many years, I, I just had an assumption that PTSD was for people who were war veterans and that had been in combat and because that makes sense. Yeah. But PTSD is any sort of trauma that, you're dealing, that you've dealt with. So yes, um, it took me many years of therapy. Um, I was married for 20 years to my first husband and every time he was late coming home or every time he got on an airplane, I would go into a tizzy that he was going to die. Yes. So today um, I have a son who's 20 years old. Getting him past his 19th birthday was, a, was something that I had to work on on a daily basis. Every time he gets in the car, I have to just calm myself down because it's out of my control, number one. But when you have a child, you worry about them so, so much. Yes. And you know, having that happen at such a young age, I kind of lost my mom for a little while because she went into a deep depression. And it wasn't until, I'll never forget it. It was like the first 10 minutes when I was holding my son in the hospital after he was born. And all of a sudden I had just a tiny little glimpse of what she must have gone through. Because when you have a baby, the love is the most overwhelming feeling you'll ever experience. But the fear is just as bad. Yeah. Yeah. The greater, the greater we love, the, the greater the loss. Is. I know. I know. Yeah. Oh my goodness. There's so many layers to this. Um, and the synchronicities are very interesting. And you and I really haven't met or um, talked, but just to let you know the lens I'm looking at this. First of all, my mother lives in West Annapolis and has maybe a hundred steps going down to the river behind her house. And this is making wow. me wonder if if it's even close to where you grew up, um, where she lives now. Um, my husband lost his older brother who was about 19 or 20 at the time when he was 12 oh, and wow. from a Catholic family. And their philosophy mm -hmm. was 
forgive and move on and do not talk about this. this is not, we don't need to talk about it. We can move on from this and um, God has a plan and, and all the messages. So he was never able to grieve. And, um, and there's a lot of parallels in that struggle. Uh, mm-hmm. And now he's in his fifties and, um, and how it's interesting how it comes up um, for us in our, in our daily life. And I understand also the the trauma and the PTSD um, and the hypervigilance that we have as as moms, even if even if we're not currently in a in a state of trauma, there's nothing maybe actually going on that our body and our brain is on high alert, perhaps all the time. <laughs> um, well, yeah, and and then it, it's it's a bigger fight to work through it to find the moments of peace and gratitude and. Um, happiness, you know, and uh, because we understand that the dangers and the losses happen. And uh, do you have a, do you have a sense in just your day-to-day life that, um, that small talk is challenging or that, that you want to share with people the, the, the depths of the human experience? Um, Like you would, does it does it affect you in in your social life that you have these perspectives that not a lot of people have um i just wonder because I, I know yeah it's hard for it's me an to interesting have question i don't think anybody's ever asked me that i don't think so mm-hmm. i am you know i have a group of girlfriends um there's a lot of superficial talk right yeah. how's your day you know we talk about our kids this and that or you know complain about our spouses, you know, whatever, you know, what women, women talk about. And I, I, I really am a very good listener and I try to be a good listener because a lot of times, especially if somebody's going through something, they don't want it to be fixed. Right. And I, I tend to listen and, and then maybe share experiences that I've had. Well, you know, I, I went through that once and this is what I did. Yes. You know, instead of telling them how to fix themselves, I try to just talk about my own experiences, but, you know, now that like, this is my second book that is out and, you know, sometimes people are worried that I'm judging them. Right. Are you happy enough? Yeah. I'm like, so I, I don't really talk. And like people ask me, I'm like, Oh, it's going good. Yeah. And I just try not to really focus a lot on it and just, how are you doing? You know, and, and all of that, because I don't want them to feel like, just because I wrote a book on happiness, I'm not judging other people. Are you happy? Okay. You're not happy. You know, like, right. that's not who I am, right? Yes. Yes. It doesn't mean you're always happy and it doesn't mean you expect other people to always be no, happy. Of yes. course not. I'm human. Yes. You know, I, I t- say it in the book. I'm like, I get angry. You know, I'm, I'm a naturally kind of more of a redhead. I'm like, I can have a hot, I can have a hot, I can be a hothead. You know, you have it's a fire. okay. Yes. Right. You know, you have to experience the full human emotion. Yes. Yes. And if, and a lot of times it just feels too hard. It's like, oh, give me a break universe. And then there's other times when um, I'm in those very difficult days uh, where it feels very alive in the sense that because we understand life is short, we'll lose people. And, and that someday we'll die, that we have this human experience and some days are hard and that too is a vitality and an awareness and an aliveness that's um not comforting i'm trying to find the word but um but through that lens we can appreciate it some we can we can come at it with some awareness and appreciation yeah for sure 
Absolutely. And curiosity. Like, oh, this is what I look like when I'm being hypervigilant or in terror or triggered <laughs> with trauma. Uh, right. Have you had one of those rocky climbing the steps moments? I'm sure you had many of them, but one that stands out to you since that day where you're like, I'm back, I'm in my body, I can trust my body and trust the universe and trust that I can climb these steps again and that that whole feeling of invincibility. Have you had that again? I mean, I, I feel like almost every day I, I, I experience that at some point, not all days. You know, I, I have my, my moments too, of course, where there's days where I'm self-doubting myself. You know, when you have a lot going on and I'm creating a lot of great things, there's some days where you're, you know, but I use a lot of affirmations and whatnot to help me get back. So, so I tend to like always reboot or reset. Mm-hmm. Um, just like you reboot your computer when it's not functioning properly. You know, I, I reset my day. So if I find myself going down that rabbit hole, I have all sorts of tools in my back pocket that I talk about in the book and I start to, to get back to that place because you know, I don't have time to sit in, in those states. You know? Yeah, there's a lot to do. And so do you yeah. have um, sticky notes or affirmations in a journal? What do you, what do you use? So my favorite one I have on my wall, um, because when you write a book and you're doing podcasts and doing coaching programs and things like, you know, there's some times where I'm like, you know, you start the, the self-doubt. For me, self-doubt comes in, yes. right? And I have this saying on my wall that says, there are people doing things that you want to do only because they decided to believe in themselves. Mm. Or or there's other people less qualified than you that are doing things that you want to do only because they decided to believe in themselves. So I immediately, it's posted in my office, it's on the wall, and I will will just sit there and read it. Um, I also have an app on my phone that um, is, it's a vision board app. Cool. So I go through that a lot. Yeah, another, um, I'm, I'm in a, I joined a coaching program that teaches you how to pitch the media. Oh, neat. And it's really cool. And so she's my accountability partner and her and her husband took about four or five years and they developed this app for um, vision boards. Feel free to pitch it and say what the name is. Yeah, so it's called Subliminal, Subliminal, um, Subliminal Vision Boards. It's an app. Okay. Get it? Subliminal vision boards. And the really cool thing about this, when you have a vision board, because I have a vision board on my office wall as well, Mm -hmm. but it's a mixture of everything that I want to create. Yes. And what she explained is, um, the interesting thing about her is she's got this condition, which I'd never even heard about. She is not, does not have the ability to visualize. And yet she created a Yes. Board app. This is a fascinating story. Side it's line. really fascinating. Um, and I'm like, what do you mean you can't visualize? Because you know how you can like imagine things in your head. She goes, I don't have that. Does she, does she just live in the moment? Like she doesn't foresee. She can't imagine things wow. in the future. So she relies on visual things. So what this app does is you create specific vision boards for every area of your life. Okay. So for example, I have one for my podcast. I have a sec- another one for my book. I have one for my coaching programs. I have one for media pitches. And then 
and you and you can customize it. You can bring in, you can Google search for images, and and you can type in text, and then she has affirmations that you can include in it as well. Fantastic. But the cool thing is, the reason it's called subliminal is you can have a subliminal moment where you hit a button, and all of a sudden it does a countdown, and you just look at your phone, and, and all these images are flashed up because it's rewiring your subconscious mind. That's wonderful. I love it. Yes. And, I, and we all need different things, whether it's visual or audible. Yeah. Or, I love that that's out there and I've never heard anything like it. So thank you for sharing that. I love the tools that, yeah. that, people, that people bring. I just yesterday, um, somebody, and I'm not going to get it right, but I'll, I'll, I'll have to look it up. But you know how we have um, control, alt and delete on our keyboard. They were saying, you know, when you, when you're stressing out or your mind is blank and you're just looking at your screen like who am I who am I to be a coach who am I to be an author or a mother all the things they're like control what you can control let go of what you can't have alt alternative um thinking uh you could change your reality you could reboot reset and then delete you could delete negative messaging you could delete old tapes I thought that's cool just like a visual reminder on my laptop and it is on there yeah that's right I don't know so I love that I love that analogy and we just need constant, even as coaches, yeah. we need reminders. Um, and I sometimes will call uh, a, a friend or a colleague and just be like, remind me who I am and what I do and why I'm <laughs> in this. And, you know, in a minute, I'll be like, I'll write. Thank you. Thank you. But uh, it's so funny how we could fall back into those uh, patterns yeah. of self-doubt and and worth, lack of worth um, and fear, all of that. Well, yeah. And I think it's a lot of times it's our ego. Yes. It's, it's, it's our ego is protecting us. Yes. Right. That's what it really boils down to. And, and I get that. And I know it, you know, but I, I try not to let myself stay in those moments for very long, but I'm human and I'm just like anybody else, you know? Absolutely. And you yeah. said, and, and you, do you have one child? I only have one child. Yes. And you said um, that he's 19 or 20. Well, he's, now. he's 20 now. He's almost 21. So you're empty nested. Is that a yes. word? You've empty yes. And so, empty nester, yeah. and so is, is the pandemic on top of empty nesting is the, was the book a respite for you, a, a way, a, an outlet? Um, well, I finished the book in January of 2020 Oh, okay. before the pandemic hit. And the interesting thing is in the introduction, I say, we are at a crossroads in humanity. We have to change. Yeah. I'm like, if things don't change, like, I basically was just saying, I could, I could read it, but, um, you know, if we don't change, we're, we're doomed as a society. We're doomed. And then, and I sent it to my publisher in April of 2020, the pandemic hit in March, but it took, you know, it takes time to get a book published. So it was released in February of this year. So. Which is wonderful timing for the readers. Yeah. Um, and interesting, the foresight that you had, that this is what the world would I, be. I actually wrote that paragraph in August of 2019. Yeah. So you knew. and I knew. Well, it was just because, you know, I see, I mean, I live in the Washington, D.C. metro area. People are just, people are so mean. And I use a lot of examples about driving because I used to commute an hour each way to work. I'm sorry. Exactly. <laughs> And, um, and when you're sitting in a car two hours a day and people are just complete assholes and just mean. Yeah. So, so oh yeah. boy, do I feel you. I grew up in that area and a couple years ago thought 
that I would return home to family, maybe take care of my aging parents. Um, maybe a weekend. I was reminded of how um, not just busy and trafficy, but how rude and mean people were and the honking. So I moved after a couple of years, could not take it, moved back up to New England. Um, and I'm not saying that nobody honks their horns and gives people fingers in New England, but it doesn't happen as often. And now I'm in Maine. There's no honking. There's no cutting people off. People wave, <laughs> let people in. I'm like, I just needed that. I need my nervous system needed it. So, uh, so I feel for you because to be a highly sensitive possibly empathetic, intuitive person to not understand why people aren't just kind on a day-to-day -day basis and traffic where we all have our lives in each other's hands. We got to work together on this people. Yeah. It drives me exactly. crazy. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard. It's so good. I'm so glad there's people like you still sticking it out down there. <laughs> we need that. I yeah. love Virginia. I was born in Virginia, moved to, I moved from DC Yes. Well, from Maryland to DC to Virginia in 1989. Okay. And I just love it. I love it here. And is it softer yeah. there? Yeah, I'm in the suburbs. Good. And okay. now that I'm not commuting anymore, I'm not, Good. you know, I, I probably leave my house two or three times a week. I still, because I'm a homebody anyway. So having the pandemic yes. really didn't bother me so much. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I like being home. Yeah, I find that the creative uh, neurodivergent minds really didn't mind the um, the time mm -hmm. to create and and yeah. be by themselves as much. Um, I yeah, I, I had I had bigger problems in the pandemic and um, and and I don't know how much you know my personal story. I think my listeners do already, but I'm currently in my lowest lowest moment. I think you've talked about lowest lows um, where my youngest child is very ill, we're homeless, don't have a safe home. Things are very much in um, crisis right now. And I would not be able to do what I do if I didn't wake up every morning before freaking out, <laughs> which also happens, um, where I say, at this moment, um, I am safe. At this moment, I am grateful to have um, coffee. That's usually on the list. <laughs> um, or a friend to call, or this soft sheet, or whatever it is. And um, sometimes I say we have to get scrappy with our pleasure, but I wonder what your terminology is and your languaging is around those moments where you have to get really scrappy with your gratitudes. Like even when things are so hard, you could still always find something to be grateful for and happy about. Do you, how do you yes. phrase that in your book? Um, it's gratitude, you know? Um, but another way to look at that is like, walk yourself off the ledge, right? Give yourself a break. Yes. Those are, those are kind of replacement words for, for that. Um, I interviewed a guest on my podcast and it was just released yesterday. Um, and he wrote a book called the, called the last law of attraction book you will ever need to read. <laughs> cool. Yeah. But what, he took gratitude to a whole nother level. And, and it really made me think because I'm all about gratitude and I do a gratitude list every single day, but it's always, I'm gratitude for my health. I'm gratitude. I'm gratitude. I'm grateful for my health. I'm grateful for my son and that he's healthy. Um, you know, all of those things. He took it to a whole nother level. He goes, think about your heart. How mm. grateful are you for your heart that it's beating and it has been beating every day of your life for your entire life and it's pumping blood through your system and blah, blah. And then like, what about your legs? What about your fingers? What about, you know, all of your organs? Like 
Like if there's, if you don't have anything to think about, to be grateful for, just think about those things, right? Take it to another level because sometimes it may seem like life is at its lowest point. And I always remember that it can always be worse. Absolutely. Absolutely. My worst day is better than billions of people's, you know, my, yeah, my worst day is better than billions of people's best day. Right. It's true. Yes. It's, it's important to remind ourselves of that perspective. And, um, I don't know if you did this once you started to fully grieve your brother's death, but I started to read about death and dying and, and actually the Holocaust is where I found, um, the most, uh, transformative research because I was reading that the people who survived the Holocaust were, were the ones who were able to laugh in community. And that phrase just captured me at the perfect moment when I was in the depths of grief and fear and thinking, how can I ever pull myself out of this? And I had to read about people who had it worse, harder. And how did they do it? How do you do it? And um, I was like, laughter? Are you kidding me that? And, And then, and then I had to create a whole lifestyle and work around it because it was so darn effective um, and transformative. But um, how, how did you find through the grief and drug addiction and all the hard times, how did you find originally happiness? What was your catalyst book, moment, poem, song, person? I must've been something. Oh yeah. So I went through like an outpatient recovery program and was instructed that I needed to go to 12 steps. So originally it was the 12 steps that are amazing and they're wonderful for people to help them, you know, work through. And so I started, my biggest problem with not allowing happiness into my life was trust issues. And it wasn't trusting other people. It was just trusting that things were going to work out. Yeah. So if, if I can tell you this little story that, that really brought it home for me. Because somebody was saying to me, there's miracles all around us. Okay. So I used to be a cigarette smoker and I was driving home from work and I had quit recently and I um, just wanted desperately to buy a pack of cigarettes. And, you know, nicotine has always been my drug of choice and it's powerful. It's like, they say it's worse than like a heroin addiction. So I'm sitting at a traffic light and I'm praying and praying and praying, please, please give me strength. Help me trust that this is going to work and that I can do this, right? I look to my right and there's this woman, very old, wrinkly face in this old beat up car and she has a cigarette in her hand and her hand is shaking and shaking and shaking and she took a hit off that cigarette and blew it out and I'm like, oh my gosh. And I instantly look to my left and there's this beautiful woman in a convertible, sun shining off of her hair. It was incredible. And I was like, whoa. And at that moment, a Tom Petty song came on the radio. I won't back down. No, I won't back down. You can stand me up at the gates of hell. I'm going to stand my ground. I'm, I'm, you know, I won't back down. And I just started crying. And then I just started to laugh like a deep belly laugh. Cause yeah. it was like, Oh my gosh, that was a miracle. Yes. And so from that point on, I learned how to trust that yes. everything is going to work out. Yes. And, and that was like a big light bulb for me because I actually witnessed something like that unfold right in front of me. And I began to trust and trust that everything always works out exactly the way it's supposed to. And that, and that was a big, big thing for me, a big catalyst moment 
to allow happiness into my life and that it's okay. Everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Even if it doesn't always look happy, right? it's going to be okay. (laughs) How wonderful that you had uh, the visual cues on either side with the cars and, and the song coming on. When the song comes on now, do you tear up? No, um, I don't hear it very often just because I, you know, it's, it's, it's an older song and I tend to listen to top, the top hits. Okay. Um, but I think about it a lot. I do think about the song a lot because it, it has, it, it suddenly has a very profound meaning for me now. Definitely. It's such a beautiful story. And, um, I always love it when I hear about people taking, um, taking their traumas and turning them into the the greatest lessons to help heal others and yourself. I mean, you healed yourself with your work, obviously, and then you're sharing um, your work with others through your book and your coaching and your podcast, which is lovely. I was able to listen to that today. Um, Yeah. How can people find your book and buy your book? Yeah. So the book is available on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. You can get in the hardcover, soft copy, Kindle version, and I'm in the process of doing the audio version. Um, I'm hiring, I'm hiring somebody to do the voiceover for me. I, I was so stuck on doing it myself, but I don't speak perfectly enough to do that. There'd be too many ums and ahs and, you know, um, I, I, so I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm paying to have somebody read the book for me. So fantastic to get that out there. Cause there's so many people that prefer audiobooks. Yes. I, I like to do both. I like to read them and then listen to them. And I hear yeah. it differently and I receive it yeah. differently. I learn something new each time. Um, yeah. How fun. And um, and then we could find your happiness solved on Apple and Spotify and all the, yep. the Apple, Spotify. I also, it's a, it's a hundred percent audio um, podcast. Okay. So what I do is once it's released, I convert it to a video and then I post it on my happiness solved YouTube channel. So you can also listen to it there. Perfect. That is what I do as well. I record audio and video and throw it up on YouTube and Apple, Spotify, because some people want to watch the conversation. I think I know. In, the, in the middle of the pandemic or on a lonely day, I love watching, you know, women talking to each other and smiling and making eye contact, even though we're Zooming. <laughs> and uh, you're on Facebook and Instagram under Coach Sandy um, Scarletta, right? That is correct. Okay. Coach Sandy Scarlata, yes. Scarlata, I'm yes. sorry, yes. Easy to, to find you and uh, a wealth of um, knowledge and wisdom and happiness, wonderful perspective. I'm so glad to have had the chance to talk to you, Sandy. Thank you. This has been, been an honor. Thank you so much. Honor. Happy, happy you're here. And if anyone wants to continue the conversation with me, you can visit my website, PashaMarlo.com. You could find me at Pasha, excuse me, at Facebook or Instagram at Pasha Marlo. And um, also at the end of every podcast um, in the notes is a Calendly link for a free coaching session. So take me up on that. It's a free, I call it liberation coaching call. And I'd be happy to uh, hear from you and hold space for your stories. And if you like the podcast, review it and subscribe and share it and all the things so that we can uh, get the word out there about happiness and pleasure. I hope you all have a wonderful day. Let pleasure be the measure. Thank you, Sandy. Thank you. Bye.